This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. The founder of this company, 10 years ago, was trying to sell his house. He's, you know, he's kind of an important guy. And he said to his wife, if this is what it's like for us, how do people who have no clout ever get around this? So he started a company and it went into business, I think, three years ago. Their deal is, their word is their bond. And they are people that listen to this show. They are just like you. Now, how can I say that? Because I'm the founder of the company. Realestateagentsitrust.com. You're listening to The Church Boys Free Fall Q&A. It's Billy Hallowell here with The Church Boys Podcast, and I have Chris Field on the line. And we also have Eric Metaxas, author, speaker, radio host. I mean, Eric, before we even get into what I want to talk with you about today, is there anything that you can't do? <laughs> oh, my gosh. You're everywhere. How about answer that question? Answer that question. <laughs> I cannot answer that question. The, the, uh, there, there are many, many things I can't do. But you know what? The one thing that I know I'm good at is being eclectic. In other words, I really do do a lot of different things. And I, I've come to, um, I guess I've come to terms with that in my life because, you know, people always say you've got to focus. You've got to, and I, I don't really know how to focus. I enjoy doing many different things. So it's good <laughs> when I hear that somebody kind of appreciates that. I love it. I don't, I don't often hear that. I, did, I, I, love no, I love it. And I would, I would call, I would go so far as to call Eric America's best looking intellectual. Wouldn't you, Billy? <laughs> America's there, there what? Best, best looking best intellectual. intellectual. That's what, that's what oh, best looking intellectual. Oh, yeah. Well, you realize that's saying absolutely nothing. I've seen a lot of <laughs> intellectuals. That's like America's shortest <laughs> basketball player. <laughs> that's okay. Thank well, you. you know, no, but it's true. You've done every. I mean, you've done everything. It's It amazes me when I, I actually look at your resume a lot, and I'm like, I would love to have that kind of resume where you just, you can do Everything from you know writing you know on the children's front all the way through writing these amazing intellectual um, books and the other thing is I mean I can barely squeeze out a second book and here you are <laughs> on your you know eleventeenth hundredth book I mean it's great you've got this new book out uh, if you can keep it and uh, you just are constantly putting out great stuff so. I guess for for me, and I'm fascinated by the the topic you cover in the book. But why did you write it? What was your motivation? I mean, you write many. Books. I wrote the book. Very simple answer. I was freaked out about four years ago. I realized. I mean, this is the this is the logic, right? If America is an idea, okay, America is not an ethnic group. It's not like an island where everybody you know is the same. It's it's, it's an idea founded or put into the world by the founders in 1776. It's the first nation in the history of the world that is an idea uh, and an experiment. And here's the bottom line. It dawned on me that really to be an American, if America is an idea, you need to understand the idea. You need to know the various ideas that make up the idea. You need to know the histories and, and the, the stories. In other words, to be an American requires something because it's, an, because it's an idea. Self-government requires something. It's why the title of my book is If You Can Keep It, because Benjamin Franklin famously said when a woman asked him, did you give us uh, a monarchy or a republic? He said, a republic, madam, if you can keep it. And it dawned on me that for the last 40 or 50 years in America, we've not been taking seriously. Most Americans my age or younger don't really know because we were not taught in schools 
the the greatness of America, the ideas behind what makes us who we are. And once these ideas started coming across my consciousness the last four or so years, four or five years, some of this hit me and I thought, this is a tragedy. We are a nation based on an idea, and most of the people here have lost touch with these ideas. In the last 40 or 50 years, we've ceased keeping the republic, and if you want to know why we are where we are, it is precisely because we have stopped teaching these things in schools. We've stopped teaching them and celebrating them in the media. The cultural elites have said, you know, they've kind of got this negative narrative of America. That has affected us profoundly. So this book is a wake-up call uh, to America to say that if we do not know, for example, what is in this book, you cannot really say you're an American. You're an American in name only. So I really got a wake-up call in my own life that I had gone through most of my life, gone to good schools and so on and so forth, and I had not learned some of these things. And I said, this is a crisis, and I mean a crisis. We are at the edge of the abyss as a nation. If we don't wake up and start teaching our kids these things and start reminding ourselves of what these things are, it is game over for the United States of America. I believe that firmly. I wouldn't have written the book unless I felt there was hope. But I'm a man on a mission. I have a great urgency in writing this book. I've never felt so strongly, so passionately about anything I have written in my life. This is it. So, Eric, what's what, what's the fix then? I mean, I don't, I don't want to give away the point of your book or anything, but I mean, you, you wrote this for a reason. You're, it's a wake-up call. You believe that waking the country up is is worthwhile because apparently it can be fixed. You know, what's what's the tactic? Is it what? What, well, what, the, what the, do we the, need to the, do? Every author gets to. Every author gets to to say this once in an interview, right? <laughs> the fix basically is read my book, okay? Because why? I put everything in the book that I feel you need to know as an American. Right. And, and that's true, actually, in the sense that I said, this is not that complicated. I want to write this in a book. I want to put it in a book. In fact, the original title of the book was Letters to a Young American. Mm. Uh, I said, I want this to be the basics of what you need to know about this country. If you don't know this stuff, you cannot really, truly be an American. You need to know this stuff. And so the first thing I would say, really, you know, other than buy my book and read the book, is is teach. Uh, you know, you, you can borrow the book and, and just uh, get to know what is in it and then do your own homework. But there's there are stories, for example, well, two things. First of all, the basics of how the government works, the basics of civics class. We used to get this from the 1950s and before they would teach this in public schools you know, the branches of government and the basics of how it works. You cannot be an American truly unless you understand all of that stuff. The role that faith and virtue play in the republic is something that you will never hear in a public school. You'll definitely never hear it in college, right. and you'll never hear it in the media. All of the founders understood the role of faith. So I go into that in the book. And you know what? That's not debatable. There is nothing to debate. It is there. Every right. one of the founders, Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, every one of the founders understood the, the utterly crucial role of faith and virtue with regard to American freedom, period, end of sentence. There's nothing to debate. And so I go into that in the book. Um, and then the third thing really is the, the stories of America, the, hero the stories of the heroes who paid the ultimate price, who did things, self-sacrifice, that we are reaping the benefits. I, I talk about the story of Nathan Hale. Every American should be singing the praises of the great Nathan Hale, an amazing young patriot, tremendous person of faith, went to Yale University where I went. And back in the day, 
when they were very proud to be Americans. As I said, since the 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 fifties and sixties, we've not really celebrated that in America. Definitely not at the uh, institutions of higher learning like Yale. So all of the stories, Nathan Hale, I go into Paul Revere, the midnight ride of Paul Revere, the story of George Washington uh, in 1783. He was offered really to be the king, the first king of America, because things weren't going well. The Continental Congress couldn't pay anybody. And his officers said, hey, this is not right. We won the war. Um, Why don't we just kind of do a military coup? You'll be a benevolent king. You're not going to be some tyrant. What do you say? Everybody would have taken that deal. He not only said no, but he was offended by the idea. He said, Mm. we have fought for liberty. He's such a noble man. We've ceased to truly appreciate what a giant he was, just what a great figure he was. We talk about the fact that he owned slaves. That's, That's really unbelievable that we do not celebrate him. So there's a number of stories. You can't really be a people unless you know your stories, your myths, your legends, your songs, what to celebrate about why we're proud to be Americans. So really, it all boils down on some level to patriotism, but yeah. it, it's a kind of a healthy patriotism. It doesn't say, we're great, you stink. We're great because we want to serve the whole world. We want to spread these ideas of liberty all around the world. It's not just about us. So that's uh, that's the long answer. Would you prefer the short answer? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, lo- I, love, I love the long answers. Right. And I think you know, one of the things that is happening right now is we have these this big debate about individual rights right the gay rights movement versus you know individual religious conscience and we have institutional rights as well you know colleges university religious uh, even churches in fact that we've seen um, a number of stories unfolding one in Iowa we have religious schools in California that appear to be under fire uh, with a proposed bill there how do you think, and you spoke to a little bit of this, but I want to just dive a little deeper. How do you think we got here where we're actually having these debates and discussions about whether or not people should have the right to believe and live out these beliefs? What is it that brought well, us here? Well, I mean, th- this, this is exactly proving the point of why I wrote the book. The fact that we could get here tells you that we have neglected the basics. You know, it's like, how did you get an F on this report card? Well, you didn't go to class for six months. That's basically how we got here. For us to misunderstand the very part of all of our liberties, true liberty, religious liberty, to not understand that is to basically say, I'm not an American. I don't understand any of this stuff, and I'm just going to wing it. And if you're going to wing it, you're going to get an S. It's not going to work. You cannot understand these important things unless you understand what precedes them, how religious liberty, for example, is at the absolute non-negotiable heart of all of our liberties. You cannot be America in the sense that we've been for over 200 years unless you understand religious liberty is sacrosanct. There is nothing as important. If you talk about freedom of conscience, you cannot have liberty without that. I talk about the golden triangle of freedom where my friend Oz Guinness, I dedicate the book to him because he he broke this down for me in a way I'd never seen it before, how, how you can't have self-government without virtue. People have to be virtuous. We're going to govern ourselves. We're not going to let the government govern us. We're going to be the government. We're going to govern ourselves. Well, you need virtue. And in order to have virtue, the founders all understood that where did virtue come from? Most of the time it comes from people of faith. That's a, an observable fact in history. The founders didn't even discuss it. They knew it is a fact. Faith is necessary for virtue. Virtue is necessary for self-government and freedom. And by the way, in order to have faith, you need to have freedom. Faith requires freedom to flourish. If you have the faith forced by the government, 
uh, if the government takes a step in and says, we're going to decide on these big issues, we're, gonna, we're, go- we're not going to allow you to believe what your conscience teaches you, what your faith teaches you, we're going to force you, that kills faith. And when you kill faith, you kill virtue. Well, freedom, it goes round and round. It's absolutely, it was all a revelation to me, which is why I get so excited, because I think I want, I want the whole world to know, and I definitely want every single American to know. So when I hear people say, I bought the book to give to my you know, 18-year-old, I think that's exactly why I wrote this. If every 18-year-old understood this, you know, we'd be in good shape. But right. we're also at the edge right now. We've let this go for so long that we, we have to really, uh, I, 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 you know, I want an army of people to know this stuff. And, and if that happens, when you get crazy things uh, happening in the news, people can speak to it with some, um, with some knowledge, you know, but otherwise we just say, what, what's going on? How did this happen? We, we really have to kind of understand the basics of and, it. And that, speaks, well, and that gets to my, my, the larger point of my question, which I, I phrased inartfully because it was this, which you, is not a surprise. Often, which is not Eric, a surprise. Um, yes. <laughs> but Eric is a good looking intellectual and I am an ugly schlub. So, well, it kind of evens out here. Um, <laughs> uh, but one of the. I'm glad this is radio because that's a lie. But go ahead. <laughs> no, I'm extremely ugly. On um, both sides. So, the, but what I wanted to ask is so you're offering solutions because you believe that there's hope. You offer so you're offering solutions. You're wanting this book out there, not simply because it puts shekels in your pocket, but because you believe that it's gonna it's gonna help things. Which means you believe that things can be helped. Why do you believe? I mean, I, I think there are a lot of people. I think a lot of evangelicals, especially, say we're just too far gone. I mean, the people who should have faith that God can Let can do all things. When, when, when what, people what, of faith, especially, say it's all gone to hell, forget it, I get angry. Yeah, I get angry because that is contrary. To, to Scripture. Scripture commands us to be hopeful, to rejoice in the Lord always. Th- this idea that that says, oh, it's all gone to hell, and let's just get in our bunkers, and th- there's nothing of Jesus in that. Right. Th- that is not the way. I mean, if you see that things are bad, good. That's You are correct. Things are horrible, and apart from God, and apart from be- people doing the will of God, it is hopeless. But if you become part of of the negative voices that say there's no point in trying, I say not only are you wrong, but if you think of yourself as a person of faith, that's not biblical. We are supposed to do whatever we can. Now, if things go south, that's in God's hands, but we're supposed to do what we can. And for my part, I said, if Americans take what I wrote in this book seriously, and it's not a long book and it's not difficult, this is not some intellectual tome, this is for every American. If we take this seriously, we can we can win we can win freedom back, but we have to take this seriously, and we have to act like yesterday. This is not something that if we get around to it five years from now, we are right now in this election in this year. We have to take this very seriously immediately. And I, I have to say that when people say I'm not going to vote, uh, it's lost. That is not that is not right. I really I've taken a stand for that, and I've I've taken a lot of guff from people. But and, you know what? I don't care. Uh, I do. I do my best to say what I think God is is telling me to say. And in this case, I'm convinced that if your average American will take the ideas in this book seriously, these are the ideas that the founders gave to us as a treasure. That if we will take these seriously and we will start being bold, speaking about them boldly, speaking about, for example, the role of faith 
in this culture. Stop, don't apologize for your faith. Don't buy into the lie about the separation of church and state, meaning that faith has to stay out of the public square. That is not only not true, it's the opposite of what the founders wanted. They want expressions, robust expressions of faith, everywhere in the public square, in the schools, in the marketplace, not just in the churches. That's something that needs to be understood, and people need to be bold about their faith, and they need to understand that, by the way, your, your faith is the answer for why this country can work. That is the answer. It's right. not a sidebar. It's not irrelevant. It's at the very heart of why, if, let me put it this way, if the Church in America will stand up and be bold about our faith, that is what is necessary for America to come back. So, if so, we shrink back and say, well, they don't want to hear from us anymore, you know what, they don't want to hear from us ever, really. That's, that, that's irrelevant. <laughs> right, right. It's our job to speak it, and if God picks a few people to, to get lit up by the message, that's his business. <laughs> so let me ask, let me ask them a follow-up to, to that idea. Uh, and again, I, I believe that there's hope, but I, but I live in a faith that, that's got hope. I mean, that's the, that's the central, that's a central tenet, right, for, for Christians. But what about the people who aren't, who are, who are either nominally Christians or don't consider themselves faithful at all, but like, or what, how, what is the evidence that you would offer them that there's, well, I, ho- there's I, hope here well, if, what for I America? Well, what I would say is that the founders all understood that you don't need to be a person of faith, but you need to respect the role of faith in American freedom. Benjamin Franklin was not a person of robust Christian faith. He was not theologically orthodox. He was, however, very good friends with George Whitfield, who I, I write about at length in the book, and he appreciated that the faith of Whitfield communicated to hundreds of thousands of Americans made America possible. In other words, it was those people who experienced revival and who lived out their faith who were able to be virtuous and govern themselves. Without people of virtue, the government that Franklin had set up with the others uh, was not able to work. They, They all acknowledged this, and we in America have to say that, you know what, I'm not sure maybe what I believe, but this much I will say, if we do not respect particularly Christian faith and the biblical ideas and take them very seriously, there is no way America can function. That's what all the founders understood. So Ben Franklin understood that there's not an American who has an excuse not to understand it, because Franklin himself was not theologically orthodox. So for my, I live in a very conservative uh, part of the Pacific Northwest. Believe it or not, Washington and Oregon have pockets of conservatism. And so I'm, <laughs> I live in a very conservative area of the country um, around a lot of really good people, not all of them Christians. How would I go to my my neighbor who's who's a very conservative, you know, patriotic American, bleeds red, white, and blue, but isn't a, isn't a believer and faith has no real role in his life. And he's, he's well, looking, as I he's, say, he's looking at... don't need to have faith, right, but, he's but looking, they need to see that all the founders saw that faith plays a role right that but he, he cannot deny it. you're right and, and I, th- I think that he would I think that he would agree that faith played a role but when he's looking at the landscape of today and he looks at Trump versus Hillary and we can get into that discussion in a bit too as far as I'm yeah. concerned yeah. but uh, he looks at the Trump versus Hillary thing and he looks at our society and the moral values that are being pushed or the immoral values that, as he sees it and and he's going our country is so screwed we are just we are we are we are out of luck it's it's the end of the line for america what evidence do i offer him as a christian without being preachy and say well you got to know jesus i mean what what do i 
what do I communicate to him as evidence that, you know what, we're not at the end of the line. We may be at the precipice. We may be at the edge, but this isn't the end. We can well, We're at turn the end of the around. line because of people saying we're at the end of the line. Yeah. We're at the end of the line because there are people unwilling to dig deep and say, this is the last battle. We need to win this battle. We need to fight. If we go down in flames, praise God, we, tr- we died trying. But the idea that we're so far gone, we're not going to try. What about people who are depend? There are people depending on us. It's kind of like saying, well, we got ours. Now we're going to check out. There are people around the world. Forget about America. There are people around the world looking to America. That if America does not continue to hold out a torch of liberty, of freedom, of self-government, of justice, nobody around the world is leading that charge. We have, le- we have been privileged to lead that charge with all of our flaws. We have to understand that this country was, was called by Abraham Lincoln the last best hope of earth. In other words, he's saying that God, in his wisdom and in his grace, allowed America to be the conduit by which freedom of every kind can touch people around the world. Um, that is something we cannot take lightly. And so when people say, well, it's over, my question is, what is the alternative to fighting till the last bullet? Right. I mean, wh- why would you not fight? You, you're, you're, it's like saying, like, well, don't fight in case the cavalry arrives at the last minute. The cavalry will never al- arrive. Let's right. just go inside and smoke our pipes. Right. There, there's something fundamentally defeatist about that. And part of the reason I wrote the book is to say that is not okay. When, you, when you've been given the treasure that we in America have been given, you need to fight. And if you end up losing, that's, that's God's business. But you need to be at your station fighting. And we're fighting not for ourselves. We're fighting for the whole world. We're fighting for the concept of liberty, for self-government. The, I think sometimes we forget how beautiful and valuable these things are. When you realize how extraordinary they are and you've been entrusted with them, you don't go down easily. And I really think we need to, to, to rally the troops and to say that this is not ours um, to ignore. We've been given this. It's a sacred treasure. We've been entrusted with it. We need to simply do everything we can do. And when I hear voices of, of negativity, I get upset because th- those become the problem. It's not just that you're diagnosing the problem. You become the problem mm-hmm. when you speak in that kind of a defeatist way. I wouldn't have written the book if I didn't believe that there's a way out. Right. Is God involved? Yeah, yes. God is involved. And I, and I think that uh, God has to have grace on this country. Otherwise, uh, we are headed you know, for, for uh, the ash heap of history. But that would be the greatest tragedy in the history of the world if this the greatest nation in the history of the world uh, would cease to be sure. uh, who we were. Right. Well, my last question for you, and it just goes back to the political element, and I've actually agree- agreed with you. I've said I think we you have to pick who you think is the lesser of two evils, if that's the way you look at it um, at, at yeah. this point. I mean, that has been my take. Chris actually doesn't agree, so we've had a lot of good on-air debates <laughs> about this. But, um, you know, from my from my perspective, just looking at everything, um, you do sort of have to have to make a choice there. But let me ask you, how do you respond to those <clears throat> like Chris um, who would say <laughs> you know, not, that I, neither neither option is good and that, you know, you can't vote for evil and both are evil and both are wrong and both are terrible? How do you respond? Okay, but, that, but, that, but that right there, but, both are evil, is a fundamentally stupid statement. There's no but, such thing as a person being evil. Right. There's such a thing as a person promoting evil ideas, but every human being is created in the image of God. So the whole concept that they're both evil, I mean, let me tell you, Hillary comes as close as you can come 
but she's still a human being, okay? And so the, the concept of, you know, voting for the lesser of two evils, whatever, that, that's, a, that's a phrase, but it's right. not a reality. Exactly. You have to make a choice between two people. No person is wholly virtuous. No person is wholly evil. Hillary Clinton um, is very bright. Uh, she's very competent, which is the reason I wouldn't vote for her, because the ideas that she uses her competence and, 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 you know, maybe she's not so competent, but the point is that her intelligence and her zeal and her leadership abilities have been used to lead this country in the wrong direction. Uh, So there is no doubt in my mind that if you vote for her, we are going to be going at light speed in the direction we've been going the last eight years and for longer. There's no doubt about it. Donald Trump, when people paint him as some immoral monster, again, I think, you, do you even know what an immoral monster is? Do you know who Stalin was, who right. Hitler was, who Pol Pot was, who Idi Amin was? I mean, the idea that we're talking about, that you may not like him, but the idea that we kind of write him off as pure evil, or it's, it's, those folks are simply not thinking clearly. Now, if you want to have a substantive debate about you know, what he has done, but, but the emotions have to go out of it. You have to understand that you're picking somebody. One of these two people is going to be the commander in chief and you owe the young men and women who put their lives on the line every day. You owe them the best choice. And if the best choice is Stinko and the other one is, you know, (laughs) uh, the devil's sister, well, I'll go for Stinko and I'm going to pray that God could use that. But, but the idea that I'm, they're both equal and that, to me, is not a logical argument. It is also, it is defeatist. It's to say that, you know, he's so bad that I don't want to dirty my hands and vote for him. I'll give an example. Since I wrote the book on Bonhoeffer and people uh, interpreted it in a hundred different ways, let, let me throw something strange into the mix. Bonhoeffer was criticized by everybody for dirtying his hands by getting involved in the dirty plot to assassinate the head of state. They said, how could a Christian ever do this? The best thing you could do is sit it out, pray, don't get involved, don't speak up for the Jews, that's political, just pray and be a holy person, don't get your precious hands dirty. And he said, no, my faith commands me to do what I can, to get my hands dirty, and in fact, to maybe do something which is not that great, but I'm, I'm, I'm burdened that I must do something. And if I do something that ends up being wrong, I believe that the merciful God of the Scripture will have mercy on me. I will cast myself on his mercy, because I know that I can't do nothing. I must do something. And I have to say, I haven't heard that interpretation of Bonhoeffer. People act like Bonhoeffer is some saint who, you know, would never do any. In his day, he was criticized for getting dirty in politics and for for sullying himself by getting in bed with all of these non-Christians involved in the plot to kill Hitler. A real man of God would never do that. And he said, you know what? I think you're wrong. I think I have a duty to the Jews. I have a duty to my fellow Germans and a duty to the Germans of the future and the people around the world to do what I think is the best shot at, at, at survival. And, and in his case, it was wanting to bring his country down for the sake of future Germans and for the sake of the future Germany to try to defeat the Nazis at the time. And I, I just think that a lot of the uh, analyses of what's happening right now, they're very simplistic 
and people, it's more about my conscience. It's more about, I don't want to get my hands dirty and, and I can't possibly vote for somebody. I mean, do you know that there are people who said, how could you possibly vote for Reagan? His, he's been divorced twice. His, his wife is no kind of a believer. She's liberal. She's like, you know, uh, pro-choice. And she's, she's all these different things. And she's going to be bringing astrologers into the White House to govern his schedule. You mean right. to tell me that you could vote for that man? I think that what happens is we kind of get caught up in these like eddies and these whirlpools and we cease to see the bigger picture. And the bigger picture is very complicated. Um, anybody who's aware of his own sin, as we need to be, um, has to really have some perspective. And that, you know, it's, it's, can you imagine if Patton or MacArthur were running for office? What do we think they were like as people? Uh, do we think they were polite? Do we think that they, I mean, I, I really think that you get to a point where you say, we're voting for a human being, right. and we have an obligation to do the best we can to keep this country from going headlong um, into socialism. And actually, let me say finally, if we're talking about nothing else, the Supreme Court justices that are picked by the next president, that needs to be said over and over. Unfortunately, we're at a point in America where if we pick one or two or three more justices in the mold of the Ginsburg or Sotomayor or Breyer uh, or Kagan, we will have a fully activist judiciary, and that is the end of Republican democracy in America. If you don't take anything else seriously, you need to take that seriously. And then when people say, oh, we don't know who, who Trump's going to vote for, he always changes his mind. Let me say this. Uh, better to gamble with somebody who might pick the wrong person than to allow someone to get in the office who, without any doubt, will pick the wrong person. Uh, sometimes, you know, pragmatism uh, is is something we have to take seriously, and we can't pretend we're too holy to be pragmatic. I think that, you know, if people really are selling their souls for power or access, as many have accused evangelicals, including me, of doing, well, clearly that is wrong. And so if anybody's really doing that, they're wrong. Right. I pray, by the grace of God, I'm not doing anything of the kind. I'm simply trying to do what is right for my country. Um, you know, and, and that's what I'm hoping other people will do. No, I, I would say, I would say, Eric, that you actually are selling out America. I'm just kidding. Uh, and I, <laughs> do you love how I threw Chris under yeah, the bus? I love he totally Chris never called Trump evil, but I, I just, I love throwing Chris under the bus on this because I hobby. agree. I, I think you have to pick. You don't have a choice. One of them is going to be president. So why are which, we even acting like that? Hey, when, when Hillary gets in, I'm going to come to Chris's house <laughs> and have a conversation with him. You'd be more than welcome. I'm going to thank him. Thank him for putting the bullet to the head of the last great, you know, last best hope of Earth. Chris, I'm just, I'm coming to your house. You're, you're, right. you're more than well. You're more than welcome to come on over here. You have to just agree to sign my copy of Bonhoeffer first, and then. <laughs> but I'm a sellout. I don't know anything about Bonhoeffer. Okay, never mind. No, but I <laughs> and, and I no I get I get I get the argument, and I'm not a never Trumper, and, and Billy can attest. Yeah, he's I, not. I just I, love I'm, throwing him. I'm 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 a right now. I'm a I will vote for every other position on the ballot, every other ballot measure. But right now, when it comes between Trump and Hillary, right now my mind is I just leave it blank. And I have a luxury. I have a luxury of making it easy to stand by my principle in Washington State because it's already going to go to Hillary. So I don't, you know. But I'm a 
and, and we throw out this term lesser of two evils as though that they're both evil. No, and, and, and I agree with you that they're not both evil people, right? It they, makes it too easy when right. you say the lesser of two evils. Right. Like, hey, it's real simple. They're, right. they're evil and I'm not going to vote. Right. It's not that simple. Right. And it's, and it's really, I mean, and maybe a better term, it's, it's the less bad option. And again, that uh, saying that they're bad, but the, the as far as the options go, I, 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 and I think that the, the case that the, that the Trump people have to harp on if they want if they want to win this and have a hope, it, it can't be that Hillary is the best case against him. It's that he's going to appoint the right guys of the Supreme Court. That's got to be his number one, his campaign's well, number look, one but, argument. Well, I mean, he's gone out of his way. To, I mean, he, listen, if you follow him around a little bit, he talks about that a lot. It's not yeah. like he mentioned it once and he never mentioned it right. again. He's mentioned it several times, and he's even said, you know what I find, too, that people keep interpreting him in, in the wrong way. Like, he, th- a couple of days after the 11, he said, well, it wouldn't necessarily be one of those 11, right? right. Instead of people taking that at face value, meaning this is a model of the kind of people I would pick, right. they immediately said, aha, you see, a couple of days later, he said, well, he, he's talking about putting more names right. out there. And right. again, I don't want to be here defending Trump, but the point is, Argue against what is real, not against this boogeyman of somebody who's just a maniac and whatever he says is worthless and stuff. I, I honestly think that p- people are, are simply, you know, you, you can't judge him the way you judge Trent Lott. He's, he is <laughs> sui generis. He's a New Yorker. And, you know, you have to try a little bit to read between the lines yeah. and try to understand him where he's coming from. At least then, if you criticize him, you're criticizing and for something that's real as opposed to something that we're imagining. So right. I think it's important. So I, I have a I have a question, and again, this isn't, and, and this is on policy. If, you, if we don't go, we're going to go there, we don't want to go there. But I, I have an issue of, I, I have a hesitation voting for someone that I believe is unfit for office. Does that, does it make sense? And whether, and I'm willing to be convinced that he's fit for office, but if someone comes in who I believe is unfit for office, and I believe both candidates are unfit for office, still obliged to vote if you believe if you really yes. truly believe but that i don't even unfit. know what, that, what does that mean fit for office was jfk fit for office sure okay you say sure he brought prostitutes into the white house routinely yeah so he's fit for office that but, to me but that was bringing after- one prostitute into the white house is disqualifying right is no but i would i would say i would say i would say after the fact after you find out but as far as knowing that before he was elected i would say that but, if, but isn't if you, that they the didn't have point? knowledge of it but isn't that the whole point it becomes ridiculous you, you you will never know you have to choose because you'll you'll never know this idea that oh you know he's on our coinage he's this wonderful hero he sure. was assassinated he was a randy young yeah. bum who brought prostitutes into the White House. And because he had a patrician upbringing, a lot of money, he, they could make him look wonderful. But if a friend of yours behaved like that, you would think he's unfit to, to have a meal with, much less elect the president of the United States, <laughs> right. bringing prostitutes into the White House. It's a stunning, it's a stunning thing. So, and what I'm saying is uh, FDR had a mistress while he was in the White House. So you, you start understanding that to, to pretend like it's real simple, he's fit, he's unfit, oh, FDR was a great president, it's very complicated. Yeah. And I'm not trying to be nihilistic. On the right, contrary, right. I'm trying to say that you, you have to see them as, as human beings, and if you think he's unfit, then my question is, is Hillary more unfit or less unfit, or is it just a simple of, uh, issue of, oh, they're both unfit? I, sure. At that point, I don't know what we're talking about. Right. So let me, and let, even if they are, one of them is going to be president, so right. why not choose and again, <laughs> the better option of and, the unfit? And again, as I've told Billy... Uh, but see, the point is, again, like when you say unfit, this person is going to perform 
a number of duties and actions. They're going to appoint judges, right. okay? So when you say they're unfit, they're going to appoint judges. Now, if they appoint Bozo the Clown, they're unfit. But no, they're not going to do that. They're going to try their best to appoint who they think is right. We need to take that seriously. We need the right kind of judges to be appointed. We need somebody who takes America seriously. When somebody talks over and over and over again about destroying ISIS and saying what's going on in the world is not okay, we should be cheering because right. our president and Hillary Clinton never, ever talk about this. They don't seem to care that people are being tortured and killed for their Christian faith yeah. around the world by ISIS. They don't bring it up. And I think to myself, how could a human being living in this day and age who has tremendous power not want to wield that power yeah. for good in this generation? Um, that's Hillary Clinton and President Obama. So when, when Trump talks about that, do we think he's just blowing smoke? I mean, I guess yes. there are people who are so cynical that they, they think he doesn't mean it. But I've watched him talk about that. And even if I don't like him for a host of other reasons, that issue itself is something I have to take seriously. There are people around the world hoping that America will step up and defeat ISIS. Let and I think that we have to take that seriously. We have a job to do. Right. And let me, let me ask you, let me follow up and Billy, we, we got to close cause we've had you for, we've been very selfish and taking a ton of your time. And I would, I could continue talking to you for, you know, till the cows come home literally around here where I live, where the cows actually do come <laughs> home. Uh, but, uh, uh, as far as fitness for office, I would say that there is for me that there is some sort of, there has to be some sort of whether a person's fit for office, for instance, and I don't say this self-deprecatingly, I would be unfit for office. I don't have, <laughs> I don't have, I don't have the, the temperament yet. I don't have the skill set yet. Yes. I don't have the understanding and knowledge and, and Chris, education I tell yet. You something. You're, what you're saying, since I'm older than you, I can just tell you what you're saying is flat out wrong. If your country depends on you, and if somebody says, we have no choice, you need to step in and do the best you can, you will suddenly get fit. Oh, sure. Just like every father, if you impregnate a woman, you will become fit to be that father. Now, you can say, oh, I can't do it. Right. But the point is, you can do it yeah. if you want to do it, and, and you will do it better than nobody, because yeah. nobody is a bad father, and nobody is a bad uh, commander-in-chief. And so if you have integrity, and if you have your heart in the right place, God will give you the ability to do what's necessary. And so I think that when, when William Buckley famously said, I would rather be governed by the first 500 names in the Boston phone book than by <laughs> yes. the faculty of Harvard University. Understand what he said. Yeah. This is the fundamental conservative principle. Human beings who have common sense and their heart in the right place and decent values, they are qualified. They are more qualified than the intellectual with all of his credentials, okay, who is going to lead us down the devil's path in, in, in lockstep fashion, and he's been educated to be able to do that. Better to be governed by somebody who has no degrees and who simply has a sense of decency. You're that person. So to say you're not qualified, you're being overly self-deprecating. I think that that's another thing that I write about in my book is the idea of citizen leaders. This idea of people who are supposed to be credentialed politicians, that's utter nonsense. We're supposed to have citizens who say, I want to serve my country. Cincinnati and his plow is one of the stories I tell in the book that we don't want career politicians. Yeah. And this is part of the problem. We bought into this idea 
that in order to be qualified, you've got to be a career politician. I fundamentally disagree with that. And if and if ever there was a reason, you know, to vote for a businessman, that's a good reason. Right. No, I'm very pro businessman, dude. I don't think you have to have political experience, but I, I, I guess so. What you're saying then, Billy? I guess I guess I'm announcing then my candidacy for the president. <laughs> you should. Well, no, Eric, you've got hey, to come you, back. But, but seriously, don't you think I'd rather that you were president <laughs> than Hillary Clinton? Sure, what do you think? So let me. You think uh, I'm kidding? No, I, I think, don't. Think I, I'm not kidding. kidding. I think you're serious. And no, I'm not. I'm not kidding. Is there? Is there, not, there, If I had a choice today between you or Billy or me <laughs> or Hillary Clinton, don't you think that one of the three of us would be an infinitely better president than Hillary Clinton? I think the answer, don't answer I'll tell you the answer is yes. I'm not <laughs> well, kidding. So I'm, is, I'm absolutely not kidding. Now let let me ask you. Let me ask you this. And again, we're taking too much of your time, but. Is there a point where you would draw the line and say, I can't vote for it? If, if the Republican Party continues to move left, eventually their nominee could look like a Hillary Clinton. Is there a point where you've got Hillary versus essentially Hillary where you draw the line? Is there a point for you right, but th- but that you draw well, that no, line? No, but that's the point is that Donald Trump has spoken very clearly about why ISIS is a moral outrage and we need to wipe them out. We need to do that, number one. Number two, he has spoken about appointing pro-life judges to the Supreme Court. Even if he's just giving that lip service, the very idea that he would say that as a concept, why aren't we taking that seriously? And again, it's because people, and these are all friends of mine, many of them, I should say, (laughs) are so cynical that they don't listen to anything he says. Well, that's that's really not right. He has said that, and he's talked about the Heritage Foundation list of, of judges over and over and over again. He's talked about a number of other things, about having a healthy attitude toward immigration and understanding that the Democrats since Teddy Kennedy right. uh, have been trying to pack this country with people who are Americans in name only and who are going to vote for the Democratic Party. Right. These are all important things. So it's not like we have a choice between Hillary and Hillary. I know. I, we I, have a choice between Hillary and somebody who has said very important things. And he is obviously, you know, not George Washington. And I'm not happy <laughs> that our choice is uh, between uh, Hillary Clinton and somebody who's imperfect. But I'll tell right, you this, right. uh, better to go with that person than to say, oh, they're both the same. Fundamentally, they're not both Oh, I, I, I totally and agree. And I think it's, it's lazy to say that. I know, and, Eric, I, I, and I agree. I want you to come back once a week just so that you can basically school Chris on all of this, because so, I, I wasn't, but, I would, but, but, <laughs> but my, point wasn't, my point wasn't to say that Donald Trump is no, Hillary Clinton. And, and I think that his rhetoric, I think a lot of his rhetoric, as, as Eric has pointed out, has been spot on. I think he said. I think he has said some really good things. Whether he believes it or not, that's that's another discussion for another time. My question is, hypothetically speaking, is there ever a point where you draw the line where there are some, maybe not as extreme as the as the rabid never Trumpers, but for the folks like me who are like, I don't know that I can vote for either of them. Someone like me, who, but I'm willing to be convinced. Is there well, I think a point, Eric is there, just made the case, but is, so but you is should there a go point, pray about it. And, <laughs> but is there a point where you, where you, as you, Eric Metaxas, well, course, would draw a line? Of course a point. Right. Of course there's a point, but I haven't seen us come anywhere near that in my lifetime. Even when people, they're criticizing Romney and they're criticizing uh, McCain, I right. have to tell you right. that you know I would rather have McCain in the Oval Office than Barack Obama. Case closed. Yeah. I mean, the idea that you know, uh, there's no difference between them is, is just nonsense. It's right. absolute nonsense. Right. Well, listen, Eric, I appreciate you coming on and we're going to make sure we link out to the book. And, uh, again, you got to come back and, and you've uh, got to really and, teach Chris. No, no you may lessons. never, you may never come back. You've hurt my, fe- Next, you've hurt my feelings. Next time I'm going to have more, I'm going to have more coffee because I realize I've been very, very fatigued. And oh, I haven't please. Had much to say. Oh, please. Oh, please. Yeah. Right. 
Whatever. Well, look, right. this has uh, been great, has and, been. I, and I always appreciate talking with you, and thank you for coming on today. Hey, thanks, Eric. My pleasure, guys. Thanks right. for, for letting me rant. <laughs> All right, we'll talk to you later. <laughs> God bless you. Bye. All right, All right bye-bye. founder of this company 10 years ago was trying to sell his house. He's, you know, he's kind of an important guy. And he said to his wife, if this is what it's like for us, how do people who have no clout ever get around this? So he started a company and it went into business, I think three years ago. Their deal is their word is their bond. And they are people that listen to this show. They are just like you. Now, how can I say that? Because I'm the founder of the company. Realestateagentsitrust.com.